I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. If you want to be a supporter of the show, if you've enjoyed it, if you've watched lots of episodes, listened to lots of episodes, probably more to the point, feel free to be a supporter. You can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash nz365guy. Now, this is a great conversation that I had with Joel Lindstrom. I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is from South Carolina in the United States. He works at Hitachi Solutions America as a senior director for Low Code. He's passionate about helping others through the Power Platform community via podcast blogs, public speaking about business applications. You can visit his website at crm.audio to learn more about him. And he's the inspiration for this podcast. I've been podcasting for four years and it's because of this guy right here. Welcome to the show, Joel Lindstrom. Mark Smith, my old friend. Good to talk to you. It's been too long. It is. It has. And uh, it's great that we're having this little uh, this little episode here to to explore some of the things that we've seen change in recent times in our industry and, yeah, where, that, where that'll take us. Yeah, I think both of us have had career changes due to or, or in some ways but the pandemic was partly responsible for them. Yeah. So, so tell us, I always like to find out food, family, and fun, and I know we've done this before, but it's been years since we have. So just let, let's update everybody, where are things at with you when it comes to those three things, food, family, and fun? So start with food. I have, I, in the last week, I've learned several new uh, techniques for making food. I have been sous-veing. And uh, for those of you who don't know wow. what surveying means, it means cooking in a warm bath with, with vacuum. Mm. And it is literally almost impossible to mess up. I mean, you can leave so, stuff so in a warm bath. So is this bathroom. where you have a bag and submerged water? Yeah. And, so I, I, I picked wow. up a vacuum sealer on Amazon mm-hmm. for $40. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I got, it's a Ninja Foodie, but it's kind of like an Instapot, but it has a sous-vide feature. And mm-hmm. I said, what's that sous-vide thing? So I tried out with some steak. It's awesome. And what I do wow. is... I sous-vide it and then put it on the grill or the stove to sear it so it it has mm-hmm, that nice mm-hmm. texture. But as far as moist in a good way, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. I've been I've been doing everything. I also uh, I also explored how to cold brew coffee. I was I would make coffee wow. and put ice cubes in it, but not been actually yeah. cold brewing. So yeah, I'm branching out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Tell me tell me what you've removed from your life lately. What have I removed? Twitter. I removed Twitter from my life, and it was great mm-hmm. because I I uh, looked around, and I think I, ta- I talked about this in, in several mm-hmm. places. I'm not I, I'm not the guy who you know wants to get up on the soapbox and say everybody should leave Twitter, but for me, it was just not a ne- it was just a negative force in my mm-hmm. life because every time I'd go there, something would make me upset, and mm-hmm. it was just the the I really feel that if you're on Twitter for very long, the mob is mm-hmm. going to come after you for something. 
And yeah. I don't, yeah. don't want to give that to them. So, you know, whatever your political persuasion is, somebody's going mm-hmm. to be, I'm, I'm okay with people getting mad at me, but just mm-hmm. seeing the way that the the mob can get stirred up and go after someone for something yeah. they said 10 years ago. And so it's just, it's been a, it's been a positive, positive thing for me. It's one of those things that I asked myself if I had a, if I didn't have a Twitter account now, mm-hmm. would I start one? I, I, no, I don't see any value in it. And yeah. uh, I can still learn what's going on in my communities without it. So mm. I, I wonder, I wonder how much on, you know, cause I see parallels in my life, like early in your career, you're wanting to get your reputation out there. You're wanting to get a name out there and engage in the community. And then, you know, I just got an email notification today of my 10 year ring, you know, for the MVP <laughs> program. And Congratulations, I'm like, by the way, how, how, thank you. But like the point was like early in your career, you do all these things and you're not sure what works and you just, and then you find that you need to declutter at some point. You need to almost do less so the things that you do really well become the thing that you do really well. Absolutely. I think you have to say yes to a lot of things early in your career to find mm-hmm. out what you're good at and to make yeah. connections and to move forward in your career. But when you reach the point where you are happy doing what you're doing, you're not really mm-hmm. trying to become the king of the world. And you yeah. know, it's it's okay to start saying no to stuff. You have to, otherwise you will you will say yes to to burnout. And that's yeah. kind of where I was going. So I've had to take a step back and look at, you know, even podcasting. I haven't I haven't done much podcasting lately. It's not that I don't mm-hmm. like podcasting. It's just I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to get one more follower? And what am I going mm-hmm. to do with that follower when I got? If I had a, and I had I had some episodes that that had tens of thousands of downloads, and that kind of mm-hmm. goes to your head. But I mean, you can't take those. 20,000 downloads to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee with them. So Correct. what's the point? Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's funny you say that because, you know, I, you know, I've done, I've been a prolific blogger. I've, you know, used social media platforms. I've done YouTube. Um, and the thing now, I, I just looked up, it's been four years that I've been podcasting pretty consistently. And I think that, you know, I have dyslexia, so therefore, Writing was always a hard thing for me. I mean, anyone that's followed any of my social media for some time will see the spelling errors and things like that, that that's who I am, right? It doesn't come naturally to me. It's always hard, very hard work for me to communicate that way. But I find with podcasting, you know, it is really, it it suits, I'd say, uh, I use this term, it suits my neurodiversity. It, it, it's a yeah. line for for who I am. And and what I've, I've found is that you I've gone through phases, right, of doing it through drudgery. I didn't want to do it when, you know, you don't want to keep scheduling yet another one or you keep getting pushback from people that you're trying to get on the show. And But I've now got to this place where it's just pure enjoyment for me. Like I do it because I enjoy getting someone like yourself on that you can just have a conversation, which, you know, always surprises me when I get feedback and people go, wow, you wouldn't believe how what you said there the impact it had. In fact, I'll give you an example that's happened in the last 30 minutes. I was on, on, I was was doing um, a coaching call with somebody in America and they said to me, you know, you did a podcast with Sarah Lagerquist about 
you know, the journey that she's gone on with breast cancer. And I'm listening to this on a business podcast. And he said, you know, I, I listened it through because I listened to every episode. And he said, then the next day, my wife got diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. And I'm like, and he goes, I had so much context in that point because of the podcast I'd seen the next day. And you're just like, wow, just the impact day eh, that um, that you can have just it blows me away. Yeah, and that's great because you're being kind of a, a vessel for other people to share their stories. Yeah. And that was not something you planned, but it's just something that comes, I think, from the authenticity with it. And the, yeah. the other advice that, and I've given this advice, I think it's good advice to people new in their career, find your niche. You know, mm -hmm. Don't be broad, be narrow, go deep. I still think that's a good good thing. Like if you look at the people that are on YouTube or TikTok or whatever that have mm -hmm. millions of followers, they're very narrow niches a lot of time and they're doing that yeah. one thing. But you reach a point where what if you feel stifled in that niche and you want to broaden out, you want to do other technologies or you want to do other stuff, and I, I, that's okay. Just do yeah. Look at, ask yourself why, why you do that. And that's the same thing with when I was more on the dynamic side of the world, the advice was always specialize, find something mm -hmm. to specialize, but I never had a specialty. I was always the person leading the weird projects and mm -hmm. the XRM projects. And that's really mm -hmm. why I took to power platform is it's, it's to me, XRM 2.0, 3.0, whatever the .o is now. Mm -hmm, but basically, mm -hmm. it's the everything else. Everything that's not sales, customer service, et cetera. Nothing wrong with sales and customer service, but yeah. it, it gives you the flexibility to branch out into a lot of really interesting places. So tell us about the last three years for you and your journey from somebody, you know, a leader, thought leader in the Dynamics 365 space into the power platform space. And of course, there'll be some people that go, isn't it the same thing? Can you unpack that for me? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was, it starts back, I think it was MVP Summit 2016. I think it was 2016 mm -hmm. when they showed us, I think you were there too. They showed us the the preview yeah, yeah. of what would become Power Apps and Power Automate mm -hmm. or Flow at that time. I signed up for the, mm -hmm. the for the preview right then. I built my first Flow, I think, later that week or maybe even on the plane coming back from mm -hmm. from uh, from MVP Summit. And I, I went back and I talked to our company leadership or the, at least our this our our practice leadership and said, Hey, the mm -hmm, world's mm -hmm. changing. We need to need to adapt. And then I spent the next two to three years just banging the drum, being that yeah. guy saying, Hey, we need to learn this. We need to get ready for it. And then so we started delivering some projects and had some success and it just snowballed to the point where uh, we, we couldn't organically staff power the demand of the power platform that was coming in. We had people mm -hmm. who, who got really good at it. you've interviewed Harded a couple of times. He's amazing. He's the walking yeah. encyclopedia of power apps formulas. You mm -hmm. cannot stump the guy. I'm, I've tried yeah. multiple times. Do you, do you want to send him to Australia? <laughs> That'd be awesome. I guarantee I, I can give him a job. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, so, <laughs> so with that, it, it became obvious we needed to have people who were, specialists that were next level good with this. Not that yeah. your average dynamics consultant can't do canvas apps and can't do advanced flows and RPA and mm -hmm. AI builder and all that. Many of them can, but 
the difference that I realized after we had some of our early projects were, were kind of awkward because customers were starting to believe Microsoft when they said this is a citizen developer platform. And mm-hmm. you could easily find yourself in the place where the person who is the consultant on the project doesn't know as much about formulas or how to put right a good Canvas app as the customer does. If the customer's been playing mm-hmm. for it and focused on it for three, four, six months and built some apps, you need to be you need to be better than them to justify charging charging for consulting with them. <laughs> and yep. so that's where my mission became, hey, let's let's upscale. And so we had several people that we hired, some some who were MVPs already, but several who were people that you have probably never heard of. People mm-hmm. who were admins or makers for companies, people who were private consultants working on their own. Mm-hmm. And it's like the switch was flipped and now they can do what they love to do, but do it as part of their day job. And yeah. it's been amazing. We had several people from the community who were in the like the power users group and things like that, who, mm-hmm. again, were just answering a bunch of questions and doing it. And now they're doing it in their real life. And the interesting thing I found is the people who have grown up on Power, power Platform using mm-hmm. SharePoint and the standard connectors and all the limitations in them are mm-hmm. extremely creative and, and scrappy. They figured out how to make do with limitations. And when they get the good stuff in Dataverse, they take mm-hmm. to it very quickly and can very quickly mm-hmm. learn you know, more advanced stuff like how to do ALM and build tools and all that, all that good stuff. So, so I want to pack a, unpack a, a, a few of things that you said there. One, as a consultant, as a consulting company practice, that's concerning when the customer is often further ahead of the curve than the potential consultants going in. Right? It's scary. It's like as a lot of times in the dynamic world, it's this mystique, deserved or yeah. not, about mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. the specialist to do this. You, you don't. You don't want to do this yourself. You need us to come yeah. in with our team, and you need us to do all the work, and we'll train you a little bit at the end and transfer some knowledge. But no, you, mm-hmm. you need us to do it. Where. Chances are your customers are already started with something with Power Apps or Power Automate. And mm-hmm. so they're, it's like getting on the bus while it's driving down the road and sometimes. So how have you found, you know, coming from a model-driven mindset, shall we say, with, with that, that we came, you know, with our Dynamics backgrounds, to the, the canvas with connectors, with a, a, a user interface where, if you like, the app wasn't designed from a data up perspective mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases. And, you know, we would say, you know, the data is the, is the most important thing and it is important. But, you know, we're seeing now experiences as in how somebody does what they do, the, the execution, the user experience is now, I'm not trying to say it's as important as data, but there's, there's, a, there's an even footing, if you like, and you're seeing a lot of people in the, you know, in the Power App maker space, the Canvas space, that are really more focused on that than necessarily than necessary data models. And and with data models, we come with with baggage that it's easy to you know what we would have said create an entity or create a table and and you know fields and columns, rows, all those type of things. How 
Is there a risk that those that come from a dynamics background have an arrogance about how simple it is to pick up and create Canvas? Yeah, absolutely. And I've had this this happen in, I think, six interviews so far where mm-hmm. you advertise for a power platform developer, consultant, architect, whatever title you want to go with. Mm-hmm. And you get someone who's an old time dynamics person and mm-hmm. talking to them, you're asking them, they, their resume says power apps all over it. And so you dig into that. Tell me about some things yeah. you built and they will tell you what they built sometimes. And then you get to hell. Have you ever built a canvas app? And almost verbatim what they say is, well, I haven't built a canvas app. But if I if I needed to, I could. It's this Mm-mm. kind of arrogance that comes from, in some ways, the way model-driven apps work. And you can walk into any Dynamics CE mod module, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. probably field service, and figure it out. Or some new feature comes out, you can you can maybe stay up a little bit late the night before. Yep. <laughs> play with it and figure it out. I mean, I yeah, did that yeah. with sales forecasting and, and goals mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But what you don't realize is just how different it is and how, even though it's low code, some of those formulas get very complex. I, I encourage anyone to download one of the team template apps. And again, mm-hmm. Arne Bhatia has, has been a driving force behind that. And then look at like the on load or on visible formulas for that. And then tell me you could learn to do that on the job. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can't, you need to practice. And that's the other thing of it is, is it's kind of a drive. It's kind of a hunger because the people that as a general rule, the people mm-hmm. that I have, I have hired that have been really successful with specifically canvas apps Mm-hmm. are people who are hungry and are building things on their own. And that's, yeah. that's kind of foreign to us as dynamics people. We generally would not play with, maybe when you were first starting out, but generally people aren't going to be building model-driven apps on the weekend or on nights. Yeah. But yeah. again, the people that are, they they get really good at it and they, they mm-hmm. find a challenge and then they solve it. And that's the kind of thing that you if you're looking for specifically – to broaden and get into a power apps developer role. That's mm-hmm. that's what you need to do to learn it and be comfortable with it and not be phased when the customer asks you how to do advanced collection or load save data or responsive layouts or all, all mm-hmm. the stuff that isn't obvious from just going to happen a day. How are things changing in, in your observation in the consulting landscape, particularly in in the the area of business applications that we work in? How how are things changing from, you know, I would typically structure my team around three core roles, and I'm not talking about the supporting roles like project delivery, like change management, like uh, user like testing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, de- that type of thing. I'm talking about a functional, which was somewhat in my mind. If I simplified it, was They had BA skills in the context of the application, right? So they could take a business requirement, translate it. Didn't have to be a developer. Then I had my devs, which were, you know, .NET developers that knew how to extend what you could do on the platform. Integration, data migration often fitted in their portfolio. Third, we'd have architects, right, that took the big picture, looked at the moving parts and could oversee complexity and bring it together. And, of course, there was fluidity along, along those if you looked at a modern, and I'm not talking about dynamics business anymore, I'm talking about a power platform practice. What are you seeing the consultants 
now within that practice? What do they look like? What type of roles are they? What type of things are they doing? And how is it different from the former world of dynamics? So I would say that one of the characteristics of a power platform versus dynamics project is the power platform projects are generally shorter. There's, mm-hmm. you know, our projects are not like one week projects. They're, they're typically mm-hmm. a, you know, maybe a couple months, but they're, they're half to 60% of the duration of, a, because you're usually doing more focused applications. You're mm-hmm. not doing an entire sales process, entire customer service process. You're doing something like we do a lot of inspection apps, which is replacing mm-hmm. paper forms or manual forms with electronic versions and other things like that. So they're generally short. So as a result, I find the people that are most successful and what I kind of look for, I call them techno functional, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of a mix of the both, because some of the technical stuff has become easier. You don't generally need somebody who is as technical as you need to write plugins and JavaScript. And there still is a place for plugins and all that. So we do have people when needed can do that. But formulas and custom connectors are being written by people who are not your traditional technical developers. And because Mm -hmm. the projects are generally shorter, they generally don't have the budget for as big of a team, nor do you need as big of a team. And a lot of times the customer is playing part of that role too. So if I am Acme Corporation, I've hired three people that I want to be my makers. They just don't know the platform yet. When we come in and do the project, they're going to want to be active participants. They might be wanting to make some flows Somebody might want to make a custom connector to their to their ERP system, something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the people that are most successful are the ones that cannot can do can kind of do both. Meaning they can they can discuss do discovery and design out a business process and a data model, and then actually do some of the development. Now there still is the the need for the architect and uh, mm-hmm. for overall, you know. Because again, we don't go in saying this is a canvas app, this is a model driven app, this is whatever. We want to first understand the business process, put the right pieces in place. And so generally you, you still want to have some, somebody in that architect role mm-hmm. and you still need to do testing. And that's, that's where, yeah. you know, I call my group the rapid solution development practice because we're using low code to rapidly develop solutions, but we're still doing it development best practices. We still have testing. Mm-hmm. We still have, you yes. know, still set up a backlog. Sometimes that backlog mm-hmm. is like 12 stories. It's not the 300 you'd have with the dynamics project. I'm still yeah, trying yeah. to institute best practices. I try and do it for, unless it's like a POC something, we try to do mm-hmm. ALM and source code with every project as mm-hmm. well, just because that's the kind of thing that people that get started without People that get started without any kind of training or help and just go mm-hmm. off on their own, they yeah. they may get very good and van- advanced with formulas, but mm-hmm. they will not necessarily know how to build a solution well or how to yeah. design a good data model. And so by doing that and incorporating those best practices, but doing it in a lighter, shorter form, form it's very successful. And so so by doing that, you know, some projects will look like your traditional, more like a traditional dynamics projects. Some will be more of a mix or hybrid of your resources plus the customer resources. Yeah. One thing you didn't touch on there and uh, just 
because uh, I know this is something that you guys are definitely in scope, is what about the user interface and that user experience component? And why I highlight that is that, you know, I've been on a bit of a passion trip at the for a while around why does a power app have to look like a power app? In other words, why does it look like so out of the boxish in nature? It doesn't, you know, uh, perhaps is not as, I use the term sexy or not as, it's more than just theming, you know, something which, you know, you could do back in the model-driven world as well. What What's your thoughts around the importance of these uh, individuals, these contributors, the designer, the, you know, the somebody that looks at it from, and I'm talking about people that have come from more a traditional design background rather than a software background, but, you know, in context of software constraints, et cetera, understand that and still create you know, like like the guy, you know, the the team template apps that you talk about, they look awesome. Right, right, and that's that's the thing as well. People go to a people go to an app in a day, learn how to build an app from data. It looks mm-hmm. like your traditional power app. It has you know all the <laughs> the three screens. It has the normal mm-hmm. back arrows. And that's okay. I mean, you can quickly build an app and you can get a functional app, but it's not pretty and it's not one that people people use, people like to use. So mm-hmm. yes, user experience is very important, but I would maintain it's been important for a long time, even with model-driven yeah. apps. And there's been some really, really badly designed, thought-out model-driven apps that are 10 clicks to get someplace. So even if you are not going to Canvas apps, UX is important, especially yeah. the things that are going to rock everybody's world are PowerFX, Canvas mm-hmm. app formulas coming everywhere, and yeah. the custom pages, which if you haven't seen them, they're in preview now. It's mm-hmm. essentially your sitemap link can be now your normal view form, or it mm-hmm. can or it can be a Canvas app inside your model-driven app. And that is going to lead to, I predict, some really awesome looking apps and some really, really ugly looking apps. (laughs) Because you got to think, model-driven apps are responsive by design. You put in a Canvas app, but don't design it to be responsive. That's going to be a really bad experience. Yeah. And so UX is extremely important. Now, we're fortunate because we've got a great UX team of designers. They're the same people who design custom applications and Azure portals. And we've Mm -hmm. worked with Mm -hmm. them to kind of adapt that to Power Apps. And that's the thing that's kind of eye-opening to see a designer who's not a Power Apps person, the way that they think, and then seeing, oh, yes, we can adapt the, the, the controls in Power Apps to... UX principles. Every platform, low code, pro code, et cetera, has limitations. Mm-hmm. It's just knowing how to work within those limitations to get a good looking experience. So I would encourage everybody to do two things. One is there's a good book that's kind of one of the standard UX books called Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. And it. it's been mm-hmm. in existence for a long time. And mm-hmm. the revised version is kind of outdated. It talks about some websites that don't exist anymore. But it's yeah. a it's a really eye opening thing. But the the best advice I got was look at the apps that you like to use on your phone. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you still use Twitter. Maybe you use the Outlook app. Maybe you use TikTok. Whatever, whatever that mm-hmm. app that's mm-hmm. sticky that you love to use is. Look at how it's laid out. It usually has you know a, you're not going through a million screens. You usually have either icons on the side or the or the bottom, a common top menu. 
And by doing that, just observing, hey, what what do I like? What do I like to use? You can borrow a lot of that and bring that into your apps to get a much, much better user experience. Such a good way of looking at it. You know, one of the, the questions I've had is how can we make business applications addictive? You know, and it is looking at the apps like a TikTok, like a Netflix interface, right? You don't need a manual to how to, it's logical and how it comes together. So, yeah, I think you guys are leading the way there in how you're bringing designers in. It's interesting, I had a conversation earlier the week with um, somebody at Microsoft and uh, you know, they're reflecting on themselves and they said, you know, we have technical leads, we have business leads, but we have no design leads fundamentally built into Microsoft business applications. Right. And I think there might be a future for that, you know, to really go index heavily on creating on, on the user interface. And I'll just leave it a user interface. I won't say user experience because I think the experiences are getting great, but the user interface particularly, there's there's plenty of room to 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 grow, you know, to use, you know, some of the 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 user interface tools like that Adobe have, things like that, that how if someone's building a app for mobile these days would use if they're coming from a design perspective. Right. And that's that's one of the things when we do when I do a, a workshop or we plan it out. Equally important in my mind to the backlog is some kind of wireframe. Now you can go all out and do Figma and photorealistic stuff, Mm -hmm, but even mm -hmm. if it's in PowerPoint or even what we'll do sometimes is, you know, use power apps to create a wireframe, just not connected to any data, whatever. But that's a good way as well to start, start thinking of the user experience first and making sure that the direction you're going is going to be a usable experience. The other advice, if you are a canvas app maker and you don't have any canvas apps or flows that you use every day or every week in your Mm -hmm. personal life, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be very effective. You need to be a user of power apps and that Mm -hmm. will then show you all those rough edges and cliffs that people run into. And, you know, We've all seen when somebody, even in Dynamics, develops something, yeah. but they don't actually use it. It You can tell because it's, yeah, on paper, this looks good going through 10 screens to get here. It, it works, but it's not anything anybody's going to want to use. So by building an app, the next time you have an itch to go to the app store and download a task manager, a food tracker, or whatever, mm-hmm. build that app yourself start using it, see where some of the UX issues or challenges are and figure out ways to make it better. And by doing that, you will become a better maker of apps. Last question before we get onto quickfire is (laughs) how, what are the patterns you're seeing of the new talent that's coming into the business around the power platform? Just some really, really amazingly creative and smart people. People doing things that I never would have figured out how to do, it, especially when there's when there's a, a challenge and they figure out how to how to work around it. I mentioned Harden. Mm-hmm. He's he's uh, he's found ways to do things that you know myself and people at Microsoft didn't even think were possible. Matthew yeah. Devaney. Vivek Bavishi, mm-hmm. other people that are on our various teams at Hitachi have just amazed me with the things that they've been able to do with the platform. Dedication as well, just 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 kind of a 
sticking with it, seeing it, seeing it through because they love the technology. And that's where I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the career paths kind of, kind of change the traditional career path. And I've observed this in multiple partners was you start out as maybe a consultant, then you move to either a project manager or an architect, then you get to management and you stop using the technology. Mm-hmm. The people that I'm seeing, I don't think they're going to want to follow that same path. Now, some will, I'm sure, but they really, really love the technology. They're doing it mainly. The the, the yeah. driving thing is they love the technology. I think that's going to lead to some different different career paths. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, you know, well, I lead my own practice. I still regularly will will give myself tasks in projects, not the main one, because I, I mm-hmm. can't dedicate that much time, but I'm not going to stop, <laughs> stop learning and growing because I, like I just love the technology. And I think that's, yeah. that's one thing that is going to, you know, lead to some different, different roles, different types of types of careers than what we've been, been used to in the dynamics world. I like it. I like it. Okay. I'd like to wrap up with some quick fire questions. Okay. Uh, as always. I'm ready. Uh, here we go. Would you rather save money or time and why? If you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said money, but I've mm-hmm. realized how valuable time is. And uh, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe I'm feeling like I'm getting old or something, but you <laughs> just realize that, you know, time goes so fast and yeah. you can make more money. You can't make more time. So I would totally. say save time. Agreed. What's the most uh, surprising self-realization you've had? That I, in the last, say, four months, that I need sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last 15 years, way undervalued sleep and tie it to the previous question. Feel yeah. like, oh, if I stay up for three more hours, four more hours, five more hours and grind it through, there's short-term benefits to that and you can get mm-hmm. a lot of kudos. But it's the productivity trap I, I see is... I, you know, I used to do a productivity podcast and what I realized was productivity is kind of like reorganizing your desk, you know, a million times instead of actually mm-hmm. getting things done or kind of turns into that and feeling <laughs> like it's, you get a rush from getting a lot done, being the top contributor, being the person who writes, the, you know, 40 blog posts a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it catches up with you. And what I realized is there's, there's two Joels, the Joel at 11 o'clock at night where I'm right now and the Joel mm-hmm. at seven o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. And I can't think of how many times where I've had this thing that I can't get off my mind, some work problem, some mm-hmm. project problem. And it seems like such a big deal at 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. but at mm-hmm. six or seven o'clock in the morning after getting a good night of sleep, it's yeah. not a big deal. So good. So good. Last question. What's a skill you learned when you were young that you still use today? No, I have to, I have to think about that (laughs) (laughs) skill that I learned. You kind of stumped me on this one, Mark. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. No, there's, there's a number of things. There's a number of things that I I learned from my father. Yeah. I would say that a skill that I learned when I was younger, maybe not when I was a kid, but one of the things Mm -hmm. I did early in my career that was very helpful for me was Toastmasters. And I don't go to Toastmasters anymore. My, my totally honest answer on Toastmasters was I love the program, but I got mm-hmm. irritated by the people. 
because yeah. you have every everything you do. I don't care if it's fishing. I don't care if it's golf, cooking food. There's the snobs. There's the people mm-hmm. that are way, way 100%. too much into it. And yeah. in my it's opinion, <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, that spoils the spoils the positive things. But the positive thing I learned from that when I was in my 20s was mm-hmm. the ability to think on my feet, to mm-hmm. give feedback. And the skills that you learn in evaluating speeches and giving feedback, I found extremely valuable when I'm giving, having hard conversations with both yep. customers and employees. Joel, it's been uh, amazing to talk to you. I would recommend if you want to follow Joel, jump on TikTok. You can find him at Joel Lindstrom Zero. <laughs> so uh, I, I got I, I I got a golden retriever, and most of my <laughs> most of my TikTok is me seeing what he will eat because this dog will literally eat anything. I have not found I anything it. I give him. And then I've got the other dog that's seven and she is very picky. So I feed him. He, he, the, the general script is I give him a carrot or an apple or something. Mm-hmm. He eats it. Then I give it to my other dog. She spits it out. He comes along and eats it. So that's pretty <laughs> much every video I have. I love it. Thanks, Joel. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please let me know. Uh, LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of me. If you want to be a supporter of the show, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365guy and I'll have a brew on you. Thanks again. See you next time.